Hey, welcome to episode 118 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is with Colleen Scott. Colleen has had type 1 diabetes since she's 11 years old. She's an intensive care nurse, and she's been having a great deal of trouble getting pregnant. In fact, she's had a couple of miscarriages, and Colleen wanted to come on the podcast today and just talk as openly as possible about what she's going through. And I have to tell you, she really comes through. This is an informative and intense episode. I want to thank very much Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the Juicebox podcast. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox or MyOmnipod.com forward slash Juicebox to find out more about those two great products. Let me remind you that nothing you hear on the podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. Thank you for reaching out and wanting to do this. It's fantastic. I am really excited that you actually had interest in having me on. I felt kind of odd and awkward reaching out to you, but I felt like I might have something to say and talk about if anyone wanted to hear it. So, Well, I think I mean, your story is interesting. The mix of who you are and what you're doing is fascinating. And I think that everybody suffers from thinking that they're not as interesting as somebody else. But... You'll never hear it when you listen back to yourself if you ever do it, but other people will email and be like, wow, I learned so much from this or that. And, you know, just like your, you know, your email talks about a different episode, someone will talk about yours. I was getting blood drawn this morning and I showed up at the office when they opened at 8.30 and I left there at 9.30 and it's 10 o'clock central time that we're doing this. So You're hustling. I was rushing to get home. <laughs> well, thank you. That was a surprise. I didn't need for that to happen. I like your, uh, your determination to be on time. That's excellent. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. There'll be an update about where Colleen's at with her attempts to be pregnant. My name is Colleen Scott. I am 27 years old and I was diagnosed with type 1 when I was 11 years old in 2001. So a long time already. Then you're, geez, 15, 16 years. Are you coming up on 16 years or did you get to 16 already? Uh, no, I've, I think I've gotten to 16 already. I, my birthday is in October. So. Do you think your birthday is in October? Yeah, my birthday is in October. <laughs> Um, 12 years old is how old my daughter is like right now. And it's a a very transformative time for her, I guess is a, is the right way to say it. Yeah. Were you about in that time of your life around that age? Yeah. Uh, it was early enough that I it was an easy transition, I feel, for myself. Um, I don't have much memory, actually, of not checking my blood sugar, which is weird because I was, you know, almost 12 years old when it happened. Um, but you, regarding, like, that age time frame, like, you're going through a lot of changes physically. That's what I'm talking about. I, we'd, you know, nobody talked about any of that. You had no idea what was going on with your blood sugars. You just, you know did what the doctor told you. You took your 
at the time took your Lantus or your NPH and you ate exactly this many carbs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you took exactly this many log units and uh, you just went with it. <laughs> and so that was just diabetes for you. It just was certain things at certain times, certain amounts of food. And other than that, you didn't really think about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And is your care much different today than it was then? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. And so you're using like, I'm, I was looking at your email while I was setting everything up. So you are, you're using a pump, you're using the, you're on the mini med, mini med. Is that how you say Yes. It? And I use the end light sensor and as you well. Use their sense. So it's like all sort of one deal. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. I can see the sensor readings on the pump on screen. The pump. Gotcha. Um, so I'm assuming you don't eat prescribed amounts anymore. Are you, how do you, how do you handle a meal now versus back then? Oh goodness. Well, that's still changing right now. But, um, I mean, while I was on shots as a, a kid, I would eat um, 75 grams every meal. And I forget how many units of insulin I was told to take, but, um, and we would eat the same thing. I ate the same thing for cereal, ate the same thing for dinner and lunch every single day. I had no variety. Um, when I went on the insulin pump, I was in seventh grade, I think. And, okay, my dogs are going to bark. They're pretty naughty. <laughs> That's fine. Is that okay? Can it's, you hear me okay? Or is it, it really? No, go ahead. You're fine. I, my dogs will make noise at some point, too. Um, okay. So, so around, how old when you switched to the pump then? I think I was, it was uh, seventh grade, so when it, I think I was like 14. Did you go crazy then, like two years later. just eating different foods? Um, not necessarily. We, I was still in the learning phase and trying to figure out how, it, how different it was. And, and then eventually I you know, learned the different functions, the dual wave and square wave that the mini-head offers. And, learned that you can eat raisin grand cereal then <laughs> and try it. using a square wave. And um, nowadays I don't eat cereal anymore because I know a lot more, but I didn't know much back then. And I still feel like I don't know much when I listen to your podcast. So. Well, I don't know much either. I, we're just, I think we're all just sort of sharing what works for us. And then you can kind of cherry pick from what you hear other people saying and think, you know, well, that makes a lot of sense. I'll give that a shot. And if it works, it does. And that's great. And if it doesn't, and, try something different. You, you know, I mean, everybody's right. so different. I do think there's a couple of basic tenets to it. Um, but you know, other than that, everybody's so different and, and you, you using phrases like square wave and, um, bolus and things like that. And I think we call them extended boluses and everyone sort of right, has yeah. a different feeling for it, but it's and just basically on the Omnipod. Yeah. It's just basically the idea of insulin going in, and then going in again or going in over a longer protracted amount of time or, you know, however you end up accomplishing it. You know, um, I used one yesterday with Arden for lunch and today I'm not going to. And it, it, it all is based on just what her blood sugar is going to be right before she eats. And actually yeah. she'll, she'll text me in about five minutes and I'll step aside for a second. And we'll keep talking, but I'll do her bolus. Oh, and there she okay. is. You mind if we do it right now? Hold on a second. <laughs> Um, she sends me a text that says she's ready to pre-boss. I say hi, which gives me time to think because if I don't, uh, if I don't say hi immediately, she'll start saying like, where are you? Why are you not answering? Um, so I think we're going to do a temp basil for this meal increase. And I want to do 50% for 90 minutes. 
an hour and a half. And then we're going to bolus 10 units. I am going to extend it a little bit. I can't give her a whole 10. She's still 15 minutes away from getting to the, uh, to the cafeteria, but I'm going to give her, but I'm going to give her a, a large amount of it now. And I know her blood sugar is 140. So I don't know. What do you think, Colleen? I'm going to say either 60%. So it's six units or I'm going to do 50% because I'm a, I'm a chicken. Don't ask me. I'm still learning all about the temp basil just by listening to your podcast. <laughs> so I'm so starting so to use that now because of you. Oh, that's cool. Is it working? Yeah. Well, I, I'm trying to use your mindset of um, control your blood sugar with basils instead of more insulin. Mm -hmm. So if I notice that I'm a little higher, I'll add a little bit more temp basil. And then if I'm like on the lower side, I'll actually kind of back off for an hour or two. So I don't have to eat sugar with my low. It's working. So, uh, so far so good. Yeah. Let's yeah. see. That's excellent. So it's, let's say yes, it's, uh, it's working. Not so far so good. It's <laughs> trial and error type thing. But yeah, yeah, sure. It doesn't always, you know, look, I think if anybody's listening to this and thinks that anything that you or I or anybody else is saying, uh, she just said, I, I know I should watch how I feel because I gave her a larger bolus, a pre-bolus. Um, if anybody thinks, excuse me, that, that, you know, um, you know, that everything anyone says or your doctor or me or anybody's going to work every time, you know, you're not giving, you're not giving a full weight to all the, all the, the forces that are affecting blood sugar. You, you know, like it's not possible to yeah. get it exactly right. And last night I was, you know, her blood sugar was so golden and it held and it held and it held. And I was like, this is great. Um, and then it sort of hit 70, which I was happy with, but then the, her CGM, her Dexcom started beeping. And I was like, I don't want it to beep all night. So I cut her temp, okay. my temp basiled off a little bit and it just drifted up a little bit to like, I don't know, it was like 74 and I'm like, Oh, I'm right in the game. This is excellent. But then it drifted back down again to 69 and I was like, Oh, and I just kept getting woken up. So I gave her a tiny bit of juice, like in her sleep. And I'm like, this will mm -hmm. be great. And like two hours later, she went over 130. And I was like, ah, oh, then it beeped again. And I was like, too much. Damn. And so, <laughs> but, you know, but the night before, she was as steady as could be at 90, like nine hours in a row. Like, so, and, you know, who knows That's why. That's great. Yeah, who knows why. And then, and then two nights before, I was up all night with, I couldn't get it right. You know, like bolus, it was too much. Food was not enough. It just, it was, you know, it just happens sometimes. Um, wow. but yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about what you do for a living. I think that's pretty cool. Um, you okay. are, you're a nurse, is that right? But you, a specific kind? Yeah. Um, I'm a registered nurse and I now work in the intensive care unit. Okay. And how is that for you? Like, like how is that? Cause that's a intense situation. I would imagine your job is probably a lot of hustling. There's probably not a lot of downtime. How do you how do you make do with your diet, with your type one and everything while you're working at that rate? It's, it's actually really difficult. There are days when I do not sit. I can't go to the bathroom. I don't eat lunch. And I'm really relying on my basil to be okay and not too much for me to colo. Mm -hmm. um, I rely on my coworkers. I'll shout across the unit, like, someone go get me a juice so I can drink it while I'm in here trying to save this person. Right. Um, it's, it's hard because I can't check my blood sugar consistently. I don't, I'll hear an alarm on my pump saying my blood sugar is low or going high and I'll listen to it beep and I'll kind of cancel it with my fingers 
without looking at it because I'm so busy. I, I can't pay attention to it. I have someone else to pay attention to. So it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I think re- recently you were talking with um, AJ about the possibility of like having someone else control your insulin from like an app or something. And I wish that was. You were like, right, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Because I would love for my husband to control my insulin while I was working. Right. Because there are days when I'll be in a threshold suspense, so it'll shut my basal rate off, and for some reason it won't like restart automatically um, until you reach a certain level. I think I can't quite figure it out. Some days I will go like up to 160, 170, and I'm like, "What the heck?" I'll see it hours later, and I'm like, "If my husband could just have looked at it and he could like give me a bolus of insulin to correct that, that would have been so helpful." Especially now, given um, what we're going through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, but so what you're talking about with the low threshold suspend—that's a, a feature of of that Medtronic pump. So when your blood sugar gets to a certain lower level, it just it cuts off your insulin, which is basically a it's basically like a life saving device, right? Like it's like, well, this person's not right. paying attention to their blood sugar, so I'm going to stop giving them insulin. So at the very least, whatever's going—if this is something going wrong—more insulin won't make it worse. But then the problem is, right. is that it doesn't come back on until it's kind of too late to keep your blood sugar back in, 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 in the range you're looking for it then. So when it, by the right. time it comes back on and the insulin starts working again, your blood sugar's gotten too high. And now you're, you know, adjusting that, I would imagine. So does that put you a little bit on the, you know, on the, um, on the roller coaster a little bit when that sort of happens? Yeah, definitely. Especially if it happens in the middle of the night and I'm, in between work shifts and I'm like blindly pressing buttons to make the beeping stop, it may stay suspended for um, several hours and you can go into DKA and it has happened once before. It actually so happened. So, so this, this, the idea of what it was trying to help you with, it just, instead of, instead of it hurting you on the low end, it hurt you on the high end instead. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you know what, so what you're talking about is, is technology that's almost, it's almost old at this point, you know, because now everyone's talking about artificial pancreas and everything. And hopefully that idea um, would keep something like that from happening to the same extent. But, but still the taking the control completely away from a a human being makes the company set a range, right? Like we're going to try to keep your blood sugar in this range. And then what if that range isn't right for you? What if it's, you know, FDA mandated or it's, you know, lawsuit mandated where they say, well, look, you know, I can't let your blood sugar be 70. I want my, if my daughter's blood sugar 70 overnight. I'm, I'm, I'm right with that. You, you know, but if I, if an artificial pancreas says that under 90 is low, I don't agree with that. And then what if it says that high is not till 180? And what if that's not user, you know, adjustable? And so then right. I think that it's possible that the first iteration of this technology, if they don't make it user adjustable, is going to be, you know, for data collection, the people who are happy to do it. And trust me, like if your blood sugar is 250 all the time and I can give you a, you know, an Omnipod that's attached to a Dexcom that keeps your blood sugar between 180 and 90 or whatever their numbers will be, 140 and 90, whatever they end up doing. Um, that's amazing. You, you know what I mean? But for somebody who's got a tighter control already, it, you're almost giving away your range for ease of use. And maybe that's valuable yeah. for some people too, but maybe it's not. Um, yeah. 
That's, and so you, so you are, I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit, but whatever. It's a podcast. Okay. We're not on NPR. And so, um, <laughs> and so Colleen, Colleen, so you guys, you're married. Is that, that right? How long have you guys been married? Yes, we've been married for two and a half years. Okay. And you've had as much fun as you want to have. Uh, you're tired of being happy and you're going to try to have a baby. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're tired of going out at night with your friends and not worrying about what time you come home and, and you, you don't. Oh, my poor husband. I was never into that. Never into that. You don't care about seeing a <laughs> no. movie six months after it comes out. It doesn't matter to you if you see it on cable two years from now. And you go, oh, I remember seeing a commercial for that and thinking I wanted to see it. No, we have a dollar theater near the house, and I'm like, we need to wait until that comes out to the dollar theater. <laughs> I love how cheap you are. My daughter said something the other day that was totally driven by money, and my wife looked at me like, look at what you've done to her, and I was so proud. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, I don't know why you feel like this is a bad thing. She doesn't want to spend our money. It's fantastic. Um, I mean, movie tickets are like $12 now. So, My son and I were in Boston last weekend, and he was working out for a college for baseball. And it, the day ended at like noon the first day. And I was like, what do we do now? And, and, you know, like we were, the weather was kind of junky and I was like, guys, let's go to a movie. So we went to the movie theater and, you know, it's kind of my, like, you know, my day off too. There's no diabetes in my life that day. My wife's at home with my daughter. Um, You know, I'm still kind of seeing it on her CGM, but doing a really, really trying to stay out of it. You know what I mean? Like, so that they can, you know, do their own thing. And uh, we mm-hmm. got to the theater, and um, it was like you had to like you had to call ahead, like you had to make a reservation for your seat, which is n- apparently not something I'm aware of in the world, um, but that's <laughs> fa- fairly had happens. And so we got there at like two for a two thirty show, and I was like, we like two tickets for this movie at two thirty. And the guy turns the screen around and goes, here's the t- seats we have left. And I was like, what does that even mean? And and I started looking, and I was like, oh, they pre-sell the seats, and I don't want to sit in any of these seats. We'll just go to a different one. And he's like, well, that one's 3D. My phone ringing once a year, and it's ringing now. So, um, Of course. And so he's like, he's like, you know, the, we'll, I think someone's trying to sell me solar panels, probably. I don't want solar oh. panels, Colleen. Um, so, uh, so anyway, he says that, you know, this next show that you'd have to go to is 3D. And I was like, well, whatever. We can't wait around all day. And and he gave me the tickets and he was like thirty eight fifty. I was like, wait, what? What just did I buy a car? You, you, like, was, that a down, was that a down payment on a house? What, what are you talking about? And, right. I, and my son and it's looked, included with food. Yeah. Oh, but oh, then we got inside and he's like, "Do you want to get a popcorn?" I was like, "Are you buying it?" Because I mean, if you're buying, I'm in. You know, but you know how much money I just spent. Yeah, it was really crazy. But okay, so I'm so sorry. But you guys are trying. That was a long way of saying. It's hard to have a baby, <laughs> but 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 yeah. but you want to do it, and it's not going great for you at the moment. The process of trying, I'm sure the first part of the process is probably going fine, but the the second part, can you talk about it as much as you're comfortable? Yeah, I I want to be really open with it. Um, it's not diabetes related at all, but I have uh, we've been trying for now almost a year, and I have had two um, losses, both around seven weeks. Um, They originally believed that it was, you know, just chromosome incompatibility. But um, after the second one, which was pretty traumatic, I was in the ICU for it. um, We discovered that I am a half MTHFR positive, which is a, a gene mutation that can basically cause, um, 
blood clots to form in microvascular vessels such as the placenta and can cause miscarriages. So we think that may have something to do with it as well. Well, that's crazy. So is it is the, the do you have to get a certain amount into the pregnancy where that doesn't become an issue, or could that be an issue through the entire pregnancy? No, it can be an issue throughout the entire pregnancy. Right now, I'm just on a baby aspirin. Okay. Um, to control that. So. And that really is that's enough that takes care of it. And um, and some people will need to do a blood thinner shot called Lovenox. Okay. So you didn't get a cool gene mutation where you could climb up a wall and shoot webs out of your no no you got those no but i did get the cool gene mutation of type 1 diabetes <laughs> you really are a lucky girl colleen um, <laughs> i know i've said it here before but I, I i say to my to people sometimes it's like wow you like you won like this ridiculous lottery and it's like the 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 least lucky lottery in the world like you know when you really stop and think of how few people have type 1 diabetes you know it's yeah. It really is a it's yeah. a it's a low number compared to the population. Yeah. Um right. but but okay, so well that sucks, I'm sorry. Um and you said that the second the second loss, the second miscarriage was more traumatic on you or in general? Yeah. Yeah. How how did that manifest putting you into the hospital? Um I started to have we're gonna get like really girly, so I'm really sorry. No, I'm um, fine with that. I have Tell me if it makes you uncomfortable. I started having a subchorionic hemorrhage, which is um, bleeding between the um, gestational sac and the uterine wall. And it was quite large. Um, I was losing an incredible amount of blood. And the stress on my body from that kind of led into a DKA, but also my blood sugars were low because you have these lows going in the first trimester around six to seven weeks, they start. So my pump also went to threshold suspend. So I went into DKA and my blood sugars were 100. And I thought it was just morning sickness right. until my mom was like, you need to test for ketones. And they were severely high. Um, I went into the hospital, put me on an insulin drip, and um, we discovered the loss then. And we decided to pursue a DNC immediately to um, stop the hemorrhaging because I was losing a lot of blood. It was pretty traumatic all around. How long were you in the hospital afterwards? Um, I was actually only there for two days. Um, First day on an insulin drip, the second day I had the DNC, and it's typically, you know, an outpatient procedure, so I got to go home after that. And then the bleeding's under control and you can leave. Yeah, she made sure that it stopped. Yeah. So now after that experience, is it your intention to try again? Yeah. We, I actually um, just recently got another positive pregnancy test. So I'm five weeks along. Oh, You're the only ones who know. <laughs> uh, well, I will hold it long. The, the episode won't go out in time for anybody to, uh, to know differently. But, but that's exactly. amazing. Congratulations. Okay. Well, first of all, you guys are super good at getting pregnant. Um <laughs> Well, Probably because you don't go out much is what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> More just, like because I'm crazy and I track everything and I have done a lot of research. <laughs> so just an alarm goes off in the house and your husband realizes that it's the time to make a baby and you nope. guys you guys meet in a room or something or. <laughs> I don't think you want me to get into all of the. No, some kids actually listen to this podcast. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna have to put a, a disclaimer at the beginning uh, for the little kids if you're gonna start talking about uh, about your sexy time and everything. So, nope. um, <laughs> <Not that. laughs> well, well, first of all, that's amazing. Congratulations, and 
what is like what's the protocol right now for you? I mean, diabetes wise, and then I guess I'm going to ask you too about because of the other issue. But but how you know because you're what are your is it day goals? Like do you have day to day goals with blood sugars? Do you have A one C goals? Like what's the what's the goal for you know for all of that when you're when you're having a baby? It is now my pleasure to tell you about the sponsors of the podcast, Dexcom and Omnipod. I'm going to start today with Dexcom, because you know what? They deserve it. As most of you may know, my daughter Arden uses the Dexcom G5 mobile continuous glucose monitoring system that tracks her glucose levels throughout the day and night, notifying her of highs and lows so she can take action. But that is just the very beginning of what Dexcom does. Dexcom also has a share feature, so Arden can have up to five loved ones, like her mom and I, track her numbers in real time. So no matter where Arden is or what she's doing, she always has backup. Now, if that's the kind of peace of mind that seems like something that you'd like to know more about, I think you should go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or click on the link in your show notes. But I need you to please keep in mind that CGM-based treatment requires finger sticks for calibration, may result in hypoglycemia if calibration not performed, or symptoms and expectations do not match CGM readings. You can always contact Dexcom toll-free at 877-339-2664 for detailed indications for use and safety information. In fact, I want to tell you that I'm recording this now. Arden's still sleeping. Her blood sugar is 88. You can see it on my share up. Let's kind of continue the story here. So Arden's blood sugar is 88, but earlier today it went down to 58. That's a couple hours ago. Here's what I did. I went into her room. I snuck in. Hear that? That's me sneaking. And I thought, oh, 58, but not falling. I tested for sure. She was, she actually tested at 60 and I thought, I don't want to wake her up for this. I don't want to give her juice. She's trying to sleep in this morning. What will I do? Well, I used her Omnipod tubeless insulin pump to make some adjustments to her basal rates. I cut her basal back for an entire hour. And guess what? Her 58, 60 blood sugar went to 65, and I waited a little longer, and then it went to 72. Hmm. I said to myself, self, this is working. Having the ability to adjust her basal rate allowed me to move Arden's blood sugar slowly and safely without having to wake her up, without having to give her juice, without having to do anything except make adjustments to insulin. It is the largest, most amazing part of having an insulin pump, being able to manipulate basal rates, being able to make small boluses, tiny adjustments. That's how you stay in range. That's how you go from 100 to 90 or 90 to 110 or whatever your needs are. Instead of being like, oh my gosh, my blood sugar is 70. I should drink all this stuff and do all these things. Next thing you know, your blood sugar is 250. Oh, now I got a bolus. And you're bolusing. And then the next thing you know, now you're back to 70 again. And before you know it, woo, up and down, up and down, up and down. Or you're injecting. I don't even know how you people with needles do it. You're amazing, but I don't understand it. Point is this. Omnipod rocks. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Do it today. Get a free, no obligation demo pod so you can check out what I'm talking about. Seriously, hold it in your hand. Stick it to yourself. Do it. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I don't know why you people don't listen to me anymore. Well, you do actually. The links get hit all the time and I don't know. I guess I say I don't know why you listen to make you feel like you need to do it. But that's tricky. I don't want to be tricky. There's no need to be tricky. Not with Omnipod. Myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Okay, let's find out how Colleen's making out with her pregnancy. Yeah, so I feel like this is 
third time around that I've been through this first trimester thing. So I've, you'd think I'd have a lot of practice and I've got this done and <laughs> taken care of by yeah. now. But so doctors, um, endocrinologists will tell you they want your A1C as close to six for like three months before you get pregnant. And then once you're pregnant, they want your A1C to be around six. However, you talk to your OBGYN and they're like, six is way too high. You can't be that high. That's going to cause birth defects. And then your endo's like, no, you can't be that low. You're going to have too many hypoglycemia events. So it's a lot of, um, I don't know quite what's right, but I've learned. A, and it's because I think a lot of them don't deal with type one pregnancies, you know, all that frequently. We're kind of a rare species. So you kind of have to reach out to other people who are going through the same thing. And I'm, got into a Facebook group, which is probably the, one of the best things I've ever done to learn so many secrets of how to get through this. So um, other blood sugar controls. So I mentioned that during the first trimester, around like six to seven weeks, your blood sugar actually kind of drops naturally. Your insulin requirements decrease for some reason. So lows can happen a lot more easier all before the insulin resistance starts later. Um, but I've seen people get their A1Cs down to like 4.8, 5.6. And I'm like, how do you do that? I'm hoping to get there. Um, my A1C has been bouncing between 6.1 and 6. So I feel like I'm in a good place to start. And I'm excited to see where it goes. But I'm learning a lot about food that I cannot eat. <laughs> because they don't want your blood sugar above um, like. Some people will say 120 two hours later. Um, other people will say definitely not above 140 two hours later after your meal. And I tried, I have a really tight range, probably like you do for Arden though, um, to make sure the blood sugars don't swing. But everyone will tell you, doctors won't, but everyone else will tell you it's not the necessarily the swing that will hurt you. It's a long-term highs. So if you have a random high blood sugar, not to cry about it, just correct and get it back down and it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. I think that for anybody who's trying to stay in a tight range, you know, when it does happen in the beginning, it's all, it's, it is off putting at first, but it happened to us the other day and I did not have the emotional response to it that I've had in the past. You, you know, like I just, her blood sugar shot up. We messed something up, timing of insulin or carbs or whatever. And I was like, oh, you know, and then boom, just, we just, like you said, we bolused and knocked it down again, added basil and, and got it back quickly. I didn't think about it twice. I didn't, it didn't bother me while it was high. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't sitting there beating myself up about it, but I would have years ago, you know, years ago, I would have felt badly about it, but I think it's just more time and practice and the understanding that the, the difference between your blood sugar shooting to 300 and you getting it back down in an hour and your blood sugar shooting to 300 and you spending five hours, there's a, there's a significant difference in that situation. So, um, it, yeah. it's interesting though, what I, what I was listening to you say earlier that really grabbed my attention is that this is another aspect of diabetes where you're, you're with two different doctors. One of them's telling you one thing, one of them's telling you the other thing, neither of them particularly agree they both have a reason why they want it, but n neither doctor is taking the other person's goals into into account. You know, one's like, look, I don't want you to get low. 
That's my concern. So keep your blood sugar here. And the other one's saying, we don't want developmental problems with the baby, so keep your blood sugar here. It's just another example of where medicine doesn't blend together well. You, you, you know, and these two people don't. They, they, one of them sees the baby as their as their patient, and one of them sees you as their patient. It's interesting, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and and it's confusing. So you go off and find, um, you find a community of people who have been through this already. And what did they tell you? The most important thing is, is it's it's fluctuate keeping fluctuations down, not getting freaked out if they happen, getting them back down again. But what about the range in the A one C? Is there a consensus about that? Um, most most of them like to keep theirs below six. And these are these are just people talking. This isn't coming from a doctor. Right. Um, and they feel that for some reason they get, you know, hyper um, sensitive and controlled focused into controlling their blood sugars. They're checking every two hours, you know, 12 times a day. Um, and they're really particular about what they're eating. And it changes drastically from what they were eating prior to their pregnancy. So it gives me hope that uh, I can actually start eating just vegetables <laughs> and not my favorite macaroni and cheese and garlic pasta because I'm learning I can still not control that very well. <laughs> so. <laughs> You're not doing a good job with the, gar- the mac. Well, that's tough. You know, pasta, macaroni, cheese, that's not an easy one. You, you know, and and it's so much different. Like, you know, I say it here all the time. It's so much different to be bold for yourself versus being bold for someone else because they, mm-hmm. that other side of the safety issue is like, you know, if you sit down on a Saturday afternoon, your husband's not home and you make this pasta and you're like, I'm going to make some, I'm, I'm going to bolus the hell out of this. You know, if something really goes wrong, if you mess up on the wrong way, you're by yourself at your house. You, you know, and if I mess up with my daughter, I'm watching it happen and even if she gets to the point where she couldn't take care of herself, I still can. And so there's, you know, there's not the same level of caution there when, when you're an, an older person taking care of yourself versus a, you know, a caregiver. Um, but so what, what's the pasta? Where does it hit you? Is it, does it jump up right away? Or do you get like a, like a protracted, like low late or high later? Do you get really low afterwards? Where's the, where's the sticking point still? Man, no, I think, uh, it's about three to four hours after I eat it, even though I do a, um, let's see, we call it a dual wave. So it's an immediate bolus and then it drags some more insulin out over a period of time. Right. And for pasta, I usually do like four hours. Okay. But three to four hours later, it's, it'll just climb up to 190 and I feel like I have to bolus again to correct it back down two hours later. So and do you end it's up not bolusing? perfect. I'm sorry? You do end up bolusing for the 190? Yeah, if I'm paying attention, I will. So then, And it gets me back down and I don't go low. So in my mind, I know I probably need more insulin, but yeah. I guess how many cups I'm actually eating and how many carbs is actually in that pasta. I know everybody else might do this. No, <laughs> I think that's a more accurate way, to be perfectly honest, because you probably eat a similar amount of that pasta every time. You know what I mean? So yeah. I find it it's more about the amount of insulin you need to have that meal than what numbers say that meal needs an insulin, if that made sense, if I said that clear enough. Yeah. I would say that whatever you ended up bolusing for the 190, three or four hours later, you should add to an increased temp basal two hours before that. 
And that's what I need to work on doing is adding those tons basils in. Right. right <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. Because let's say that's, you know, obviously you're an adult, it's more. But let's say that's, say you're bolusing, you know, two units for the 190. I'm sure it's more like 10, but two units for the 190. And then I would just spread those two units out over a temp basil increase two hours before when you see that, that rise again. And that should do it or it should come closer. I'm, and you, I'm going to tell my husband you need to make pasta tonight so I can try this. Give it a whirl. Why not? Feed the baby pasta. It's fine. It, it just, I, I would love to know how that went actually. It, it just, because it really is, you know, I posted something today that this will be months ago by the time somebody's listening to this probably. But it was, I'm going to pull it up. It's, it's just Arden's, um, her clarity report from her Dexcom for the past, um, uh, I think it does it for, is it, let me, I have the dates here from December 22nd to January 4th, for a 14 day range, right? And in that range, her average blood sugar is 119. Her A1C estimate is 5.8. Um, she spent 74.7% of time in range, 13.1 high, 12.2 low. And I'm thrilled with that. I think that's fantastic. That sounds right. really awesome. Right, right. And and but when I stopped and thought about how that got accomplished, it was it was these basic kind of ideas that we talk about on the podcast sort of over and over again. It's like it's being aggressive, like being bold with insulin. Like don't 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 be scared of the insulin. It's bumping and nudging the line, right? So when you're when you're when your blood sugar starts creeping up a little bit, don't don't let a ninety turn into a one twenty. Stop it. You know what I mean? Don't let a 120 sit at 120. Push it back to 90. Like, just little bumps. Don't don't get stuck in this, like, up and down, up and down. Just massage it. And the third one is pre-bolus. You have to pre-bolus a meal. If you don't, if you don't pre-bolus a meal and you do everything else right, I, I'm, I'm going to guess it, it means two points on your A1C. Probably. And, and then, like, sort of this thing that I've been thinking about more and more that I'm going to talk about more as time goes on is... I think just generally speaking that managing diabetes or diabetes in general is the, is the understanding of the limitations of man-made insulin. Like I think once you understand the limitations of the man-made insulin, you can manipulate it to work better for you. And that's Absolutely. a, you know what I mean? It's a bigger idea, but it's also a very small idea. How long does it take it to work? How long does it work once it's going? How does it work with this kind of food versus that kind of food? What kind of tail does the insulin have for me? How long does it last in my body? Really kind of simple ideas that you can figure out through trial and error, and then just reapply. Um, anyway, I just, that, that to me, I think that's, pre those are the tenets of it as far as I know at the moment. That's where I've gotten so far yeah. in this, in this decade, you know, I'm sure there's more yeah. to find more, but, but for now that and, works. And the pre-bolusing is actually recommended by all of the pregnancy community to help control your blood sugar from even beginning to spike, mm -hmm. um, as you understand. Yeah. And, as you go through the second and third trimester, they recommend bolusing up to 45 minutes before your meal. It's crazy. Because of the insulin resistance that you have at that point in the pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Because it can completely double or even triple. So. That's amazing. Well, and and it's, yeah. it, it just really is. It's such a basic idea. And it, it, it's obviously, if you listen to the podcast enough, it, it's maddening to me that it's not explained to people by doctors when they're handed the insulin the first time. The insulin doesn't start yeah. working the second it goes in your body. It's, I mean, it's just simple. How long does it take? You need to find out for yourself. Then figure out that time. And, you know, because when you take a bite of a cupcake, it happens pretty quickly. You know, the sugar. Yeah, gets that sugar is going in your blood already. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and take, take an example for yourself, if you, especially if you're a CGM user. 
you, you, you find a low and you're 90 and you're falling straight down and you drink a juice box and five minutes later that straight down arrow turns into a diagonal down arrow and 10 minutes later it's, it's you know, back to level again. Look how quickly that, the sugar from that juice hit you. You, you, you know, like, like how quickly that sugar in that juice went from the, the box you were holding it in to inside of your blood, inside you're pumping through your body r- really quickly. And so when you're eating your meal, same thing, you know, you're taking in carbs, you're absorbing the sugar, it's getting right in there. And now your blood sugar is rising, that number's moving up, but the insulin's sitting there waiting 15, 20, 30 minutes to start working. And by the time it exactly. starts working, you've already lost, you know, so... Uh, right. Now you're chasing it the whole time. Oh, my God. And and it, without confidence, you don't chase it correctly. Well, you see the 200 and you think, well, I already bolused all this insulin, but your brain doesn't say, but that insulin didn't do anything. Like, it's already kind of lost. Like, that insulin's in there for the food. It's not going to affect the 200 or the 300. I need more. Like, And it's hard to make that leap even, you know? So, and then you get put in that, like you said, you're chasing, it's up and it's down and and it fries your brain. And then you throw your hands up in the air and you say, oh, it's not worth it. This is, and I saw something today online that just made me so mad. And at the same time, I understand it, right? So I get that you want to support people so that they don't burn out. And so that they don't just, you know, you want them to keep trying, you know, even when things go wrong. But the message that this is just diabetes makes me mad a little bit like you know like oh my my kid's blood sugar was 350 for five hours and someone comes in trying to be supportive then says that's just diabetes there's nothing you can do about that and i disagree that is just diabetes that part i agree with but there is something you can do about it you just you just don't know at this moment what that thing is and to be told that there's nothing you can do about it in a lot of people's minds you know, people's brains work in a couple of specific ways. Some people hear there's nothing you can do about it and they go, oh no, no, there's something I can do about it. I'll figure it out. And there are some people that hear the words, there's nothing you can do about it. And to them, that's, that's, that's the, that's somebody telling them it's okay to stop trying because this yeah, is just they, diabetes. They give up and they're hopeless. Right, right. Because someone told you it's hopeless. And so it is hard. And, you know, no, listen, if I was swimming upstream and I was about to go over a waterfall and I was like, I might make it, maybe this thing's not going to pull me over. And someone started yelling, I'm looking from here. You're really close. Just you're going over. Don't worry about it. I might be like, oh, hell, and just stop, you know, and just, oh, let me just go over. I'll try to do a cannonball at the end and that'll be the end. <laughs> and, you know, but in, but if I really believe in it and I keep trying and someone comes over to the shore and starts yelling, great tips for out swimming a waterfall that may be more helpful you, you know than than someone just going right. oh, you're screwed give up and uh, i don't know it just made me mad because i know if i found that person and spoke to them there's probably just some nuance that is lost on them or somebody didn't explain to them or maybe they don't understand it correctly and take a conversation of a half an hour and you know it would change and instead you see people going oh i gave up it's okay to give up because that's what this is and you know, so if you're listening to this, I don't think I don't think that's what diabetes is. I think it's incredibly hard, and I think that it it throws you you know curveballs constantly. But there are ways to combat them, you know. So, and you are you're finding that out now with just looking into the pregnancy stuff. I mean, to hear that you might need a 45 minute pre bolus at some point is nuts. <laughs> you, you know, like it's unfounded. If I gave my daughter a 45 minute pre bolus. I should probably spend the 45 minutes digging a hole out back to put her into because that's way too much, you know, but right? the, the resist, yeah. you know, the resistance hits and it's all completely different. Oh, man, you know, it's pregnancy, it's a different, you're a different 
creature, your hormones make insulin and your blood sugar do the weirdest things mm-hmm. that never would have happened not pregnant. So right. yeah, and it's female not- hormones are uh, quite the the challenge to put up with. So even just without the pregnancy. But oh with, yeah, with um, the, month to month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but with I'll the pregnancy, have two different basils each month. And so, do you just switch it over? Like, yep. When do, when yep. does it? Oh. Since we're since we're talking so much about your girl parts, Colleen, um, <laughs> I, I, we might as well just keep going at this point. Do you when your period's coming? Do you when does that switch happen? Is it the like, is it the day you start feeling crampy? Is it the day you see actual physical evidence? Is it, like, when does it happen? Mm-hmm. So um, the first day of your period is, you know, day one. And that's typically when I'll switch it back to my standard basal. It's typically lower. Okay. Um, and then if you're the average person, you ovulate on day 14. Spoiler alert, no one ovulates on day 14. It's always different. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to the doctors. Um but you, list, you look at your signs. Once you ovulate, your insulin resistance um, increases just a little bit. Your um, requirements increase a little bit. So I actually have higher basal rates, and it's only a tiny, tiny bit um, for the following two weeks. And then it goes back wow. so to the lower once that's crazy. day one comes around again. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned. The first, um, so I've had, I'm sorry, no, no, <laughs> I've no, no. had... Um, good control with my second set of basal rates for those two weeks. And um, really the first symptom I have that I'm pregnant is even higher insulin resistance. Like why I cannot get my blood sugars down. The last time this has happened, I was pregnant. I must be pregnant and, you know, have to wait several, several days before I can test. But I had it in the back of my mind, like, hmm, this is not normal. It's not usually like this. Diabetes, so. honestly, the best pregnancy test is what you're telling me. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, right now we're up in the air between do we call this episode No One Ovulates on Day 14 or Diabetes, the world's best pregnancy test? It's going to be hard to decide. Um, oh, excellent. Well, <laughs> plus you said, okay, I mean, some people might actually ovulate on cycle day 14. Plus, you said but, spoiler you know, alert, which no one's ever applied that phrase to ovulation before, I don't think. I believe you're the first. Well, I don't think. I don't think everybody knows that though. They expect that they'll, that's the time that they ovulate and whatever. And um, it can vary each month. It can vary between the right ovary and the left ovary, like Mm -hmm. 20 days versus 15 days per side. So um, we don't learn anything in school. And I'm sorry that I'm uh, talking about this on your podcast. Um, But it's really, really interesting to learn. And I hope if there's any women listening that they might find some interest in this and look into it. But. No, it's it's fascinating, and it's, it's such a big part of it. And and again, it's, it goes back to what we were saying before. There are real physical reasons why your blood sugar is doing what it's doing. The answer mm-hmm. the answer is not well. That's just how it is. I give up. Like it's not. It it's it might not be obvious, and it might not be easy to get to the answer. But there is a real answer there. And again, skip over figuring it out for yourself. G- go find other people who already know. Ask them. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, how do you know? And because, you know, again, there's an example here, you know, just like earlier where you had one doctor telling you, keep your A1C here for your reason, keep it here for the baby's reason. You know, somebody at some point said, you know, it, ovulation happens on average on day 14, but we have to write it down some way. So let's just say day 14. And, and then mm-hmm. that becomes 
gospel to people. Like, you know what I mean? I, you know, I was, I was in middle school. I started getting hair in my armpits. Some guy told me I ovulate on day 14. I believed him and I moved on. You know what I mean? Right? Right? I'm right. (laughs) And so, and so, you know, like that's, and then you move forward as that as gospel and it's not. And then you start trying to make decisions later off of it. And it turns out it was a guideline, just like your A1C is a guideline from the one doctor, just like your blood sugar levels are a guideline from another doctor. There's a spot that's right for you. And it's best for you to figure out what that is. I just really, you know, I think that. I also think that don't beat your head against the wall for years trying to figure out on your own. Go find people who have walked this path before you and cheat off of them. There's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? Just get your information from somebody who's done it already. Mm -hmm. I learned the most from other people and from listening to your podcast and Lots of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you had to talk about those other people. You could have just said the podcast, but I I appreciate what you're saying there. And uh, (laughs) you you have not ever done a pregnancy with type one. How do you know? All right. (laughs) (laughs) I've been pregnant plenty of times. As a matter of fact, I'm pregnant on cookies left over from uh, Christmas right now. It looks like if I look down. So, uh, Uh, well, you, no, you're hundred percent right. And that's why you said you found your Facebook page. Do you want to say what the Facebook page is? Is it a private page or can anybody visit it? Oh yeah. Anybody can join. Um, you just type in type one diabetes and pregnancy in the search bar and tons of groups will pop up. Um, the name of the group that I'm in is type one diabetes and pregnancy. Cool. And they just give so many helpful hints to what they're doing with their blood sugars and my doctor told me this, but you guys, let's all roll our eyes because we know that's not how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel better. But isn't like, it funny we're too? All people. Isn't it funny too that, you know, when it's just you, when a doctor says to you, hey, this is what's going to happen, then you go home and it doesn't happen, you're sort of like, uh, well, it was supposed to happen. But all of a sudden, when you become a mom and you're in defense of another person, you won't accept that answer anymore. Right? You know what I mean? Like, it's even, you know, it just. I've seen it with my wife, with my kids. I'm hearing it in your voice when you're talking about this here. You know, like I can, I read it in your email too. You said you got more serious about your, your care and your A1C went down because of that. And, and it just, it really is, is when you become a parent, not that people who aren't parents can't decide to defend themselves, but it's a really easy, it's an easier leap to make, right? When it's all of a sudden your decisions are to benefit another person and you, you feel that connected to the person. So, you know, yeah. I would definitely listen to those those women in that, that Facebook group. They they have the most to lose and the most to gain, you know. Um, mm-hmm. That was really cool. Yeah, I, I love the way the, the community is helpful to people, just community in general around ideas like this. And, um, but, you know, I can't say enough good things about it, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's say, let's do something else here. Let's say you 27. I do. You did say something. You, you said something earlier that I am always interested in and I let it go by because we were talking more about pregnancy and things like that. But you said you would give. you're like, what, what's he going to say? Um, you said you would have loved, you'd love to be able to give over your care to your husband while you're at work. Like, and, and, mm-hmm. and so is that as much about him or is it just the idea that you wish some buddy or something could be making those decisions for you while you're so focused on something else. (laughs) It's definitely, I wish someone could just control my blood sugars for me, guarantee that they're going to be okay while I'm caring for someone else. Mm -hmm. 
and and is it after this many years with diabetes is it just you you would just love that break or is it that mixed with the idea that you're trying to be a caregiver for another person in that moment you can't be one for yourself it's it's that i want the best control for myself and i want to give the best care to someone else as well at the same time i can't take care of myself and someone else in the icu um at the same time i can't give 100 percent in both areas and it's really unfortunate that it's that way but the, the closest we've come to that is I can see my blood sugars on my phone and my husband can log on and look at my blood sugars from my sensor. Right. So he can, you know, if he wanted to, he could look and call the hospital unit and say, hey, her blood sugar is low, give her some juice. Or, hey, her blood sugar is high, tell her to take insulin. Mm-hmm. But I have to have the time to do that. And I know it's probably crazy to think that I don't have the time to take my pump out of my pocket and take insulin a correction but i don't that is the job days. yeah your job is that fast so i am um i hope no one makes fun of me i love gray's anatomy it's so bad and been on <laughs> it's been on tv for so long but i it's the only reason i can say i um my whenever anything medical happens i randomly say something from gray's anatomy it makes my wife mental because every once in a while i'm right for no real reason because i have no knowledge um but one time something happened i was like that's probably tachycardia and she's like oh my god you're right and i was like i know from watching gray's anatomy right but um anyway i i um so that's the extent of my medical knowledge is the point i'm trying to get at in my mind i keep picturing you straddling a patient, giving them CPR while a different nurse reaches around behind you with a juice box and you're drinking it during the CPR at the same time. I think it would make a fantastic episode. I'm pitching that. That would be really awesome. Right? Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) I mean, that's what it feels like. I mean, typically I get the boys to do CPR uh, instead of me. (laughs) I usually, I actually usually end up talking to families or um, running all the pumps, you know, when you've Mm -hmm. got 20 IV pumps trying to drip life-saving medications into the patient just to keeping that straight keep them stable give them a blood pressure like you know some days (laughs) yeah no a friend of mine works in the NICU um in a in a major metropolitan hospital and she sees some crazy um birth issues and she's told me uh, enough stories for me to know that I don't want her job and I'm not 100% sure why she wants her job so you know it's uh it's a it's it's an insane um it's insane from like every aspect. It's the pace of it, you know, the, the the weight of your decisions. Everything seems like life and death constantly, you, you know. And then she gets kids who live in the in the NICU for a while. She becomes attached to some of them. She says she knows are going to pass, you know. And and a lot of it becomes about managing the family too. And I did I never would have yeah. thought that until she told me. So the yeah. family is definitely your second patient. Yeah, a lot of the time. So all right, so. So then someone just, you know, you're running the, the, the drips and someone brings you your own drip of, but it's apple juice <laughs> instead of that's <laughs> That would be super helpful. <laughs> so you need an IV of apple juice that you can turn off and on is what you're telling me. And I, well, I really just want a, a, a backpack where I can like have the straw and just drink my <laughs> apple juice while I'm working. You and I should go in Shark Tank. We'll figure it out. Fabulous idea. We'll pitch a very stupid (laughs) idea about a backpack with a juice box. I'm sure infection control in the hospital will love this. You you wandering around with juice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're not supposed to, you know, eat or drink in the patient area, only in the break room. So that even limits my snacking and stuff. Right. I was going to say, like, do you have, like, food in your pockets or is that it has to be sealed and 
and you still have to leave the space to, to take it. I still have to leave the space to take it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. You could give somebody yeah. like a gummy bear infection and start a whole crazy new <laughs> disease in the world. Like, you know, Ebola, Ebola had to start somewhere. And what if the gummy bear thing was you? I don't think that you, no. don't, you don't, you don't want to be patient zero for the gummy bear thing. Yeah. And so but I think what more of the issue is, is there's so much infection in the ICU at mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. that if you're eating, um, you could ingest some of that bacteria possibly. So that's their concern with that. Look how good you are on the podcast. I say something stupid and you come in behind me and you make it right. I like this. We're well, good I don't want to spread team. rumors that nurses are going to spread any gummy berry bola because we <laughs> had a snack. <laughs> I want to tell you right now that if I open up a newspaper and there's a story <laughs> about a gummy bear-based Ebola started by an ICU nurse, I'm going to think I have the most popular podcast on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) And that people really don't fact check in fake news is as real as people say it is. So, uh, (laughs) well, websites really need clicks. Um, it's really something. So can I ask you just, we're coming up on an hour, but I, um, when did you become interested in becoming a nurse? At what point in your life did you say, this is something you wanted to do? I'm trying to find out if it was related to, you being diagnosed or if it was something you thought about prior to that? It was definitely um, had something to do with my diagnosis. So as a child, I saw my pediatric endocrinologist and then I had flip-flop appointments with the nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And I originally actually went into college for medical school. I wanted to be an endocrinologist. I love endocrine hormones, obviously. Mm -hmm. And while I, I shadowed a doctor and I realized um, that I would not be completely happy with the schedules of a physician, and my ner- my aunt is a nurse practitioner, yeah. and she said, why don't you be a nurse practitioner? You saw one in your clinic. It's a completely different um, viewpoint of how you treat your patients, but you can still see patients if that's what you want to do. Um, so I switched over and went to nursing school. And I really think it's the best decision that I've ever made for myself because I'm, I thrive off of caring for others and providing that intimate touch and care and being there for them. And I never thought that I would be in the position that I am in today. And my original goal was to be like a diabetes educator and go into an office. Um, and maybe I'll still do that one day, but I definitely became a nurse now because of diabetes. I want to help people. I want to share more knowledge. I think that, and I get to do that in the ICU with insulin drips too. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's nice to have someone in that space that understands because you, so many stories of people who end up in the hospital who have type one for, you know, they end up in there for other reasons and the hospital has no no understanding of how to help them. You know, I my own father at the end of his life was in, in the hospital, he had type two and they would let his blood sugar get crazy high, but he had an infection. And I kept saying to him, dad, that your infection can't, it, it can't heal when your blood sugar is this high. Like it's making it almost impossible. And you would talk to the nurse and they'd be like, well, we don't want it to be too low. And I was like, it's 400. What do you mean too low? Like, what if you just made it 200? You, you, you know, like, like, you know, would that really be the worst thing in the world? And and you hear that story like echoed from people all the time that your your diabetes becomes like a backseat in the hospital. They're more worried about 
the reason you're there and, and they don't worry about that. So you being in that space is probably immensely helpful when people come in and have those issues. It's really Yeah, cool. I think we're all treated like type two almost. So yeah. but as you said, no one really knows what type one is and how to treat type one, how it's different from type two. Yeah, and you I mentioned in my email, I'm sorry, you like, want to say something? No, I was just going to say you even run into that in a place like a hospital where you just wouldn't imagine that that would be true. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, you're just not trained on the difference of type one and what is really important for the care and management of type one. Um, all you know is that your patient's on an insulin drip and you'll get them off the drip and put them on like Lantis and some Humalog and you'll give them five units three times a day for their food and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's different for everyone and it's really difficult to yeah. try to help them when you know so much and these hospital protocols and doctor's orders are telling you, you must do this and you're sitting here like, this is not going to do it. It's not the right thing. That's why you hear so many people with type one say they have people smuggle them insulin in the hospital when they're in the hospital and they hide it from the, mm -hmm. the staff and they give themselves insulin. And so yeah. it, that's cra It's crazy that it has to happen that way. Well, I think that, you know, literally coming right up here on an hour. So I, I just heard you describing, you know, the idea that you just think that at your core, you're a caregiver. And it's funny that after being a, you know, not to the, not in a medical way, but after being a stay-at-home dad for, I'm, I'm up on 17 years now, um, I just do think that is kind of who I am. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I was saying something to my son last night about it. I said, you know, you might think that, that this is, you know, that these kind of mundane things that I do are boring or that I, I feel trapped by them. I was like, but I really am, I really feel good about the part that I add to your life, you know, and it's, it, it might seem boring to you, but if you were me, you would think it was great. And, you know, and he didn't quite understand. I said, there's a part of me that just likes that you live in a clean house. You know, I know that sounds crazy, but I grew up in a house that was always sort of disheveled and it, in one way or another needed to be vacuumed or dusted or something, you know? And I just like that my son's expectation of where he lives is that it will be clean. Like, I know it seems simple, but you know, that when he needs clothing, it's washed or that, you know, there's food in the refrigerator or that somebody's thinking about him when he, you know, when he isn't able to think about himself, like those little things, um, they power me in a different way. And I, I just feel like you, you have that same feeling and, and yours is coming out, you know, by helping people in a hospital, which is amazing. And so, uh, mm -hmm. I think those people at that hospital were really lucky. And now you and I have to go meet the producer of Grey's Anatomy and pitch my idea of a, a nurse with type 1 diabetes getting juice while giving CPR. I think it's a great scene. I'm going to work it out. Oh, man. <laughs> I know a screenwriter, actually, in L.A., but he doesn't do television. All right. Oh, darn. You'll have to figure it out for me, Colleen. Um, I really appreciate you wanting to come on. You were super – I always say that people are honest, and usually when I get off, I think, God, that person was more honest than I thought they were going to be you up the bar for what honesty means. If, if you're going to come on the podcast after this, I just wanted you all to remember that at some point, Colleen spoke about a tear inside of her uterus that caused major bleeding. So you really need to, uh, you got to step up your game if you're going to be on the podcast at this point. So you, you've set the bar to new high, Colleen. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you for allowing me to come on and talk about my experience at work and experience as a type one going through pregnancy and what it means to try to succeed. It was, it was really, I was special. I'm, I'm glad you did this. And 
I don't know what the protocol is here for this or for a person like yourself is going through what you're going through, but um, I want to say good luck and I'm really excited to hear how, how this, how this pregnancy goes for you. So I hope you keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So a couple things first, Colleen and I have kept in touch and I'm going to give you a big update on her pregnancy in just a minute. But second, just right after we got done recording this episode, she and I spoke by email And she was just very concerned that my joke about how easy it was for them to get pregnant could be insensitive to people and would be insensitive to people who have trouble conceiving. And so we went back and forth and talked about it and decided to leave it in and then to talk about it here, you know, so that you can see that what is really just sort of a meaningless throwaway piece of humor doesn't hurt anybody's feelings if those people haven't had trouble conceiving. But all of a sudden, when you put somebody in the situation who has had trouble conceiving, it is an incredibly insensitive remark. And so we left it in so maybe it could be a learning experience for people listening. And so I want to apologize if it hurt anyone's feelings. And at the same time, I want to let you know that there was no malice in what I was saying. First of all, thank you very much to Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the podcast. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. But that's not why you hung on this long. You hung on this long to hear from Colleen. Here's the first time Colleen and I spoke after we recorded the podcast. I'm 12 weeks pregnant now, and I wanted to share the craziest things with you. These lows. They are incredible. I wake up in the 30s way too frequently. So we fixed everything with basils last week, and I've been fabulous. And then last night it hit. I dropped randomly at dinner time to 41. So I ate dinner and took no insulin at all and went to bed at 100. Still at 1 a.m. I dropped back to 37. More craziness blowing my mind. This morning I actually ate cereal, which is a big deal. I used to avoid it for the crazy highs. I had two and a half cups of kick cereal plus milk, which should have been about 61 grams. Then I still felt low and hungry. So I had a banana, a forbidden fruit in my world. Haha. I decided to only take 50 carbs, and two hours later, I'm 43. My mind is blown. I should be 300 or something ridiculous. It's kind of exhausting, and I'm gaining weight drinking so much juice all day long. Okay, and Girl Scout cookies. I just wanted to share this random update with you that I'm experiencing the lows that everyone talks about with their first trimester. They started at eight weeks, but it's definitely worse now. Okay. Then, Colleen and I spoke again. Hmm, let's see. And it was just kind of like back and forth stuff. I was asking her about how her basal rates have been going and how her diet's working. I just, you know, I was wondering about how she was doing. And then today, for the editing of the podcast, let me click over here. I've got another update for you. Now, the podcast was obviously recorded a long time ago, but now here's the latest from Colleen. I am currently 30 weeks pregnant with a healthy baby girl. My A1C is 5.3, which I definitely think pregnancy hormones assisted with. Insulin needs really dropped around 11 weeks, and I reduced daily insulin amounts by about 30%. I was experiencing random lows in the 20s frequently without reason. I even ate half of a box of Girl Scout cookies without taking insulin, and I still was only 70 afterwards. Insulin resistance hit suddenly for me at about 28 weeks, and we increased my daily insulin needs by almost 50% for basal insulin and carb and correction factor. They changed all at once. It's been pretty stable since then, with only a few minor basal rate changes. We haven't picked a name yet, but the due date is September 6th. My doctor plans on inducing me at 38 weeks to prevent risk of placental failure and crazy insulin resistance effects. So there you go. Colleen is now 30 weeks pregnant. She's eight weeks away from delivering her baby girl. 
How is that for an amazing update? So exciting, right? After listening to the whole story. Listen, the podcast will not be uh, new the week of July 4th, but it will resume the following Tuesday. And I'm getting text messages from Arden. She wants to eat. Looks like I'm uh, on my way to cooking. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Happy 4th.